But anyway, hey, last week we launched a brand new message series called What's the Point? And it's, uh, it's a question that I think we've all been asking at one point or another, especially over the last couple of years. We've been asking ourselves, what's the point in all this? Why are we doing this? What are we, what are we going through all of this for? I think the whole world has been asking that question. What's the point? And uh, at different times in our life, we ask ourselves that question for different reasons. I've got one for you. Have you ever looked at a cluttered room in your house or maybe a closet that's just full of stuff or maybe a, a cluttered drawer? And, you know, you look at that and you know you need to go through it. You know you need to do something about that. But you kind of looked at it and thought, what's the point? You know, I think that, uh, I think that we, we've got this in common. We've got this in common, all of us together as Americans. We all have this in common. We all have a drawer in our kitchen that is a cluttered drawer that is full of stuff. Am I right? Come on. You know you do. Don't, don't pretend like you're all holy and you don't have a cluttered drawer. You don't have a junk drawer. Yes, you do. You've got that phone charger in there that you won't throw away for some reason. It's been years since you've used that. You know, you've got that thing that your kid made at school and you feel bad about throwing it away and you got to do something with it. So it goes in the, it goes in the drunk drawer. You got a couple of pens that don't work and I mean, you, you won't throw them away. Maybe, maybe they're life chapel pens. I don't know, but you just feel bad about throwing it away. There's, there's three or four batteries floating around in there. They probably don't work either. You know, everybody's got that junk drawer. Every American does. And, uh, you know, you think, I should really go through it. I should really clean that up. I should do something with that. But then we just don't because we think, well, what's the point? You know, why, why mess with it? It's just a junk drawer. We've all got a drawer like that. Some of us have a room like that. Full disclosure, that's what our garage is right now. I think you see it on the screen. You know, at one time, this is our garage. This is in real time. I took this picture yesterday. I have no shame, church. This is who I am. Take it or leave it. My, our garage was not always this junky. It used to be organized. It used to look really good, but now this is what it looks like. And you know, there's, you got the, you got like the stroller and the kids' bikes are in there and you got some scooters and there's some tools in there, you know, cause I'm so handy and I just like to do things with tools. I don't even know why I have tools. Talk about throwing stuff away. Like, why do I need a hammer? Come on. But, uh, you know, my drums are in there. They're in the back corner. You can kind of barely see them in this picture, but I want to tell you what you're really looking at. What most of this stuff is, is Christmas decorations. I am not kidding you. Most of this is Christmas decorations. That's what it is. That's right. And I'm not even mad about it because in just a couple of weeks, Christmas is going to throw up in my house and it's going to be the most wonderful thing ever. Come on. I'm so excited. I love Christmas. I don't like Buddy the Elf. You guys don't even know. I get so excited for Christmas. And so right now I look at all that clutter and I think, what's the point? Because it's all going to come out and it's all going to go in the house in just a few weeks. But then after Christmas, we got to figure it out. That's the deadline. When Christmas is over and it's time to put everything back to normal, we're going to do something with all the Christmas stuff and get it out of the garage. My goal is to get at least one vehicle in the garage this year. 2023 is our year. I believe it. I'm claiming it in Jesus' name. But I, you know, I, honestly, I think this illustration, you can move on. Thank you. I think this illustration is well taken, though. We all, I think we probably all of us have something like that. We've got a drawer, a closet, a garage, something. And we've thought about it many times. I should really do something about that. But we think, you know, what's the point in dealing with that right now? I'll just put it off again for another day. But here's what I think. I think for a good many of us, there is a room in our heart 
or there's a drawer in our life, and every time we look at it, and every time we think about it, we think to ourselves, you know, I really need to do something about that. I really need to deal with that stuff from my past that's just kind of gotten thrown into this drawer or into this closet. But then we look at it and we feel so overwhelmed by it all. Or or we think, you know what, it's too far gone to do anything about it now. So we just kind of say, what's the point? And we go on living our lives with this cluttered mess somewhere in our souls. And I believe that one of the reasons that God brought us together today is because he wants to help you finally do something about it. He wants to help you deal with that so that you can live the life he's dreamed for you in the future. And that's actually what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how to deal with our past so that we can move forward into the future that God has planned for us. I want to invite you to join with me in prayer. Let's ask God to speak to our hearts today. That's why we preach the word. The word speaks, and I just want God to speak to our hearts today through his word. Come on, let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, God, because it is life and it is power and it has the authority to change us when we receive it. And so, Lord, I pray over this congregation today in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear your word, but more than that, we would have a heart ready to receive it, God. And as we receive your word today, it would take root in our hearts and it would produce a harvest, God, of righteousness for your name's sake. Today, Lord, because of your word, we would become more like Jesus, and we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen. 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 Well, this is week two of our series called What's the Point? And I just want to mention again, this series is based on a book written by my good friend, Pastor Matt Keller from Fort Myers, Florida. He just released this book. The book is called Donkey Mission. If you were here last week, everybody got a copy of this book. We still have copies left. So if you missed out on that, make sure you grab a copy um, and, and take it home. It's a powerful, powerful book that I would love for you to read. But all the messages in this series, they're centered around really one story in the Bible, one character a guy by the name of Saul in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 9. And we find that Saul was sent out in this chapter on this pointless mission to go out and find these donkeys that had gotten loose out of his father's yard. And this mission that he went on to find these donkeys that were running around somewhere, they actually led to a greater mission in his life. But that whole scene of him walking around trying to find these donkeys, we call that a donkey mission. And we all have those in our lives. Donkey missions are those things when we're not physically chasing donkeys, but we're going after something that seems pointless. We're trying to be faithful to what we've been asked to do. We're trying to do what we're supposed to do, but we are kind of looking around and we're saying, I don't understand the point in what I'm doing right now. All of this kind of just seems pointless. And we broke all of that down in the message last week. And so if you missed it, be sure and check it out on our YouTube channel or on our podcast. But today, as we continue this series, I want us to look at this story again. And this time, I want us to focus on just one verse in the story that on the surface of things, it seems really insignificant, but in reality, it matters a great deal to the story. So let's read it again for context. Let's begin reading in verse 1, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. This is what the scripture says. It says, there was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bacorath, the son of Aphina of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Verse 3, now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father Kish were lost, and so Kish said to his son Saul, 
take one of the servants with you and go and look for these donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shilisha, but they did not find them. They went on into the district of Shalim, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. Now, here's the thing. I want us to focus on verse 4 today. And here's the thing. Verse 4 includes a lot of detail. It gives us four different places, four separate areas that Saul and his servant went looking for these donkeys. And on the surface of things, as you're just reading through the story, you feel like those places that are mentioned there, they just seem kind of insignificant. You know, it's kind of like, well, he went here and he didn't find them. So he went there and he didn't find them. He looked everywhere and he didn't find it. It just seems kind of like random details that don't really matter to the story. But this is what I, this is what I want you to know about the Bible. No detail is in there by accident. No detail included in the Bible is insignificant. And it's interesting when you look at it and you look at the story, how much detail is missing from the story. There's things that we don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us. They've been intentionally left out. For example, we don't know what this servant's name is. He goes on this mission with Saul, and he actually plays a crucial role in Saul's success in the middle of this mission. He's important to the story, absolutely essential, but we don't get to know his name. All we know is he was a servant of Saul's father, Kish. Another detail that's missing from the story for some reason is we don't know how many donkeys there were. All we know is that Saul's father, Kish, lost some donkeys, plural. We know it was more than one. It could have been two or three. It could have been eight donkeys, 12, hundreds of donkeys. We don't know. There could have been a pandemic of donkeys just going through all of Israel. We don't know how many there were because the Bible doesn't tell us how many donkeys there were. And yet with, with details like that, that you would think, well, that might be important to the story. With details like that that are omitted, there are other places in the story where, where, where the writers take careful attention to make sure we know these specific details. And one of those is every single place that Saul and his servant went to find these donkeys on their donkey mission. Look at verse 4 again with me. In 1 Samuel 9 and 4, it says, So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim. And then through the area around Shalisha, but they did not find them. They went on to the district of Shalim, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. Four different places mentioned. And again, when you read that on the surface of things, you think, okay, great. That's awesome. You know, why are you telling me this? What's the point in those details? You know, it's kind of like hit me up when you actually find the donkeys. You know what I'm saying? Carmen says that I include too much detail when I tell stories. She's like, just get to the point, you know? And I'm like, if I'm, if I'm going up to Denver for the day, I'm like, you know, I left at about 3 o'clock, and I took Woodman uh, over to Powers, and, of course, it was backed up, and I sat there for a good 10 minutes. And then I finally, you know, got to uh, I-25, and, and they were doing road work in Castle Rock, and I sat there for a few minutes, and I got gas in Monument. You know, and she's like, who cares? Like, just what are you telling me this for? I'm like, oh, I'm just telling you, I went to Denver. It was a, it was a great day. <laughs> I sat in the car all day. No, but she's like, hey, just get to the point. But see, sometimes the details matter. And in verse 4, 
The details absolutely matter. And you don't see it on the surface of things. You really don't see it until you look a little deeper. But every single place that's mentioned in this story that Saul and his uh, servant go looking for these donkeys played a significant role in the mission that God had called Saul to. God directed them with a specific purpose to go to each one of these places. And the details in verse 4. They're not insignificant. And listen, this is what I want you to know today. The details in your life are not insignificant either. The details of your story, they matter. All of these places that, that Saul went on his donkey mission served a purpose to get him from the donkey mission to the greater mission. And in the same way, listen, every stop in your donkey mission, every stop in your life serves a purpose to help you get from the place you are now to the place that God wants you to be, the place of your purpose, the place of his destiny for your life, the place that God dreamed you would be when he formed you in your mother's womb. I want to give you four quick truths today, and here's the first one. In the same way, no detail in the Bible is insignificant, no detail in our story is insignificant either. The details matter. And while we don't have time to break down each one of these places and why they're important to the story, and by the way, Pastor Matt does that in the book. He takes four chapters and he talks about each one of these places. It's so cool to see. While we don't have time to get into all that today, I do want to examine the last place that verse 4 mentions, that they went looking for these donkeys. The scripture says they looked for them in this place called the Territory of Benjamin. The Territory of Benjamin. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that they had to go through the territory of Benjamin? Well, I want you to look back with me at 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1 again. Look at verse 1. It gives us Saul's genealogy, and notice what it says. It starts off, and it says, There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish. And then it goes through and lists everybody that, uh, that Kish was related to, the whole line there. And then it, it finishes up, and he says, All these people were people of Benjamin. They were people of Benjamin. So what, you, what the scripture is telling us is that Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was the great, 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 great grandson of this guy named Benjamin who was the great grandson of that guy named Abraham. And so when it says that he went through the territory of Benjamin, essentially what it's saying is he had to go through his own stomping grounds. He had to go to the place where he grew up. He had to go to the place where his family is from. Literally, he had to take a stroll down memory lane in the middle of his donkey mission. And here's the principle for you and me. In order for Saul to move into the future that God had for him, he had to first recognize and deal with his past. He had to revisit his past in order to be prepared to engage his future. And that's why his donkey mission that went in crazy circles put him back in the territory of Benjamin. Let me ask you today, have you ever gone back to visit your old stomping grounds? You know, I think most of us in the room here, we probably didn't grow up in Colorado Springs. You know, you guys that did, you, you are the lucky ones, you know? You guys are the real deal. You're so lucky, you don't even know it. They're like, no big deal, whatever. I'm, I'm a native. That tag on my car is real, you know? We tell our girls all the time. We went and looked at leaves this weekend, and we tell them, like, you guys have no idea how lucky you are. Because I'm like, look at that. And they're, like, watching the DVD in the, in the car. And I'm like... Turn it off and look at the leaves. <laughs> look at God's creation. This is so beautiful. They'll, they'll enjoy it one day. But I tell them all the time, like, they're so lucky. 
But most of us moved here at some point in our lives. Carmen and I, we, we moved here in 2011, and I love living here, but I also love going back to my old stomping grounds. I grew up in a small town just outside of Savannah, Georgia, called Rinkin. Rinkin. People were mean growing up, and they called it stinking Rinkin. It was terrible. But I love the place where I grew up. It was the prototypical South Georgia town. Everything was kind of built around Main Street going right through the middle of town, you know. I remember when they put up the first stoplight. I remember that was a big deal. I felt like we had arrived. We have a, we have a traffic light now, you know. I was, uh, I was there before there were any fast food restaurants. Everything was local, you know what I'm saying? And it was cool, though, growing up in that town. I was only about 20 minutes from Savannah, which was a really big city to us growing up. And I was about 45 minutes from the beach. We went a lot growing up. You know, it was hot and humid year-round. Uh, and as kids, we practically lived every day outside, playing sports, swimming. You know, I would swim in a pool. We'd swim at the beach. If I couldn't get to the beach or get into a pool, we'd swim in the creek. Yep, that's the kind of life I grew up living, the rope swinging everything. I lived it. I lived there until 2002 when I graduated high school and I went to college. And after college, I went right into full-time ministry. I took a job as a youth pastor in a town outside of Nashville, Tennessee, and I lived there two years working at that church. But check this out. Two years after I'd graduated college, I had the opportunity to move back to my hometown and go on staff at my home church, the church where I had grown up, the church where I got saved, where I got baptized. It was the church where I accepted the call of God on my life at a young age. I was, I was able to go back to my home church and, and, and do ministry in the church that I loved, in the town that I loved. And listen, it doesn't get much better than that, y'all. That's pretty cool. It was a thrill for me to go back home and work at my church. But this is the craziest part. My dad was the pastor of our local church growing up. So I was a PK. Do you know what a PK is? It's a preacher's kid, and we are an interesting breed of human, I'm telling you. We're a special, special, special purposeful people. We, that's what we are. We are PKs. And as, as, as PKs, listen, we lived in a house that was provided for us by the church. The house was called the Parsonage. That's where we lived. And uh, that's where I grew up. And my family lived in that small parsonage down the road from our church in a neighborhood called Westwood Heights. And I lived there until I was in sixth grade. And then my parents, they bought a house and we moved into that house. And when we moved out, the youth pastor of the church moved into the parsonage. And every time the church added a new staff pastor, their first stop was that parsonage. It was part of the salary package. You got to move into the parsonage that was been a part of the church since the 1960s. And, uh, and so the youth pastors would come and go, and they would move in there every time. The children's pastors would live there. And whenever the church hired a new staff person, they would always move into the parsonage. So when they hired Carmen and I in 2007, the children's pastor that had been living in the parsonage moved out, and we moved into the parsonage. So check this out. I moved back into the house that I grew up in as a child. That's so cool. Except this time I was married, and... Uh, our bedroom was my parents' bedroom when I was a kid. And I'm not going to lie to you, that was a little weird. That took some getting used to. It was kind of weird for a while there. But Carmen and I lived in that parsonage until we moved here to Colorado Springs in 2011. 
And in so many ways, it was so cool to be able to move back into the house that I'd grown up in as a kid. Most of my neighbors were still there, still living in the, in the neighborhood. I could look outside my, my sliding glass window into my backyard, and, and so many memories would come flooding back to my mind of, of fall night bonfires and baseball games and freeze tag with my friends and all of that. But here's what I believe. I believe that that stop in my old stomping grounds was essential in helping me get to the place of my greater mission and calling, which just so happens to be Colorado Springs. That move in my life was absolutely led by the Spirit of God. It was not an insignificant detail in my life that I moved back to the place that I had grown up in. Literally, it served a big purpose. And I really believe that if I didn't go back there first, I don't think I would have ended up where I've ended up in life. And it's the same with you and me. Maybe you didn't move back to your old stomping grounds, but think about it because no detail in your story is insignificant. It is all tied together and it all matters to where you find yourself today. And now listen, for some of us, the truth is thinking about your old stomping grounds and thinking about your past and thinking about where you came from, that's something that you really don't want to think about. And it's not something that you really want to talk about today because for many of us, our past and Uh, moments of our past or maybe entire seasons of our past. We wish they weren't part of our story. Some of you would rather do almost anything than go back to your old stomping grounds and revisit your past because the memories there in that place are not pleasant. They're actually painful. There were things done to you in your past. There were things said to you in your past that scarred you and hurt you. Things happened back there that have made your life so much more difficult than it had to be. You don't want to talk about it. You don't want to think about it. You, want to, you just want to move on. I get that. Others of us, there are things in our past we wish we could go back and have a do-over in because our past is a place where we caused the hurt. And maybe, maybe that's you today. You created some pain in somebody else's story. Maybe you did things and said things that were hurtful to somebody else, and you've been trying to figure out how you move forward in a healthy way ever since, but it's hard because there's so much grief behind you and you just don't know how to fix all that back there. And the last thing you want to do today is take a stroll down memory lane and go back to that place of your past because the place of your past is a, pay, a place of great pain. And listen, I get it. I understand that. As I look back over my own life, unfortunately, it's not all been sunshine and roses. I've messed up in big ways. There are things that I've said and things that I've done that were hurtful. There were times when I was selfish and somebody else paid the price for it. There are decisions that I made for myself that ended up making life more difficult for somebody else. Going back home, going back and moving into the parsonage, it was cool because, you know, it was great to see everybody. It was great to be home. I mean, my parents were there. So many people that I love were there. But it was in that parsonage where Carmen and I dealt with some of the biggest marital challenges we've faced since we've been married. God didn't just bring me back there so I could smile and be like, oh, my childhood was wonderful. He brought me back there so I could deal with some stuff in my heart that he needed to get out of me before I could come into my greater calling and greater mission. Those moments are real. They're, They're there. And the truth is we all have them. We all have something back there that we would rather not look at. And here's the thing. The devil knows that too. And this is what he wants to do with those moments from our past. He wants us to live 
with the, with the constant regret from our past. He wants us to live in the bondage of regret in our present because of what's happened in our past. He wants us to live this life where we're just bogged down by so much shame and so much guilt, and we're just stuck in the place we've always been because we don't know how to move past that. But church, listen to me. Just because something in our past is painful doesn't mean that God can't use it. And one of the words that God uses to describe himself in his word is the word redeemer. Redeem means literally to buy back. And while you and I, we can't go back and have a do-over from the moments of regret in our past and the moments of pain and hardship and things that we've done, what we can do is we can put those moments in the hands of a God who loves us so much and cares so deeply for us, a God whose name is Redeemer, and ask redeemer he somehow takes he, he somehow takes these these broken messed up imperfect moments of our lives and he makes something beautiful out of them and he gives us a life worth living that's what god does amen he causes us to move forward into victory when all we've known in our past is brokenness Psalm 103.4, this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. It says that he is a God who redeems my life from the pit and crowns me with love and compassion. The devil would like nothing more than for you to stay bogged down in your past forever, but that's not what God wants for you, and it's not what he has for you. God wants freedom for you. He wants healing for you. He wants wholeness and peace for you. He has destined you for a life full of hope and full of promise. Jesus promised you a life more abundantly. That's what God wants for you, and that's what Jesus came to give you and I. And listen, even when we are at our worst, those moments of regret are not beyond the power of a redeeming God. And when the devil comes and he reminds us of our past and everything that we've done and all the hurt we've caused and all the hurt that we've gone through and all the pain we've endured, because he does, he comes and gets in our head and he gets in our ear and he starts reminding us of what we've done, what we've done. That's when we turn it back on him and we remind the devil of what God has said about us in his word, that he is a God who will never leave us nor forsake us. He is a God that will never give up on us. And it doesn't matter what our past looks like and what we've done and what we've gone through, that he is so much bigger and he's so much better and he never gives up on his people. Amen. I love 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. It says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I love that. There is healing and forgiveness available at the foot of the cross today. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, his grace covers it all. And I love that it includes that word in the verse, all unrighteousness. Listen, it's not just some of your past that he wants to redeem. It's not just some of your sin. It's not just some of those moments of failure. It's all of them. The cross redeems everything. When you come to him in faith, he cleanses your heart from top to bottom. He makes you a new creation. new creation in Christ Jesus. That's what he does. It's incredible. Our God is awesome. So this is what I want you to know today. You don't have to have a future that is sabotaged by pain in your past. You can have a future where you're free and you're healed and you're whole and you've got eyes that are wide open to see what God has for your life going forward. And on this donkey mission, Saul had to go through the territory of Benjamin He had to go to the place and revisit his past. And I believe that one of the reasons he had to do it was because recognizing and dealing with his past is massively, it's massively important to his finding success in his future. And it's the same for us. 
No matter what your territory of Benjamin may look like, no matter what it's been like, no matter where, where it takes you, recognizing and dealing with your past is part of your donkey mission because it helps you get to your greater mission. And here's why this is a big deal. This is number two if you're taking notes. The second thing I want you to know today, it's a big deal because our past matters to our present more than we realize. Our past matters to our present more than we realize. When I was growing up, if the pastor took off his coat, it was really about to go down. <laughs> about to have church, y'all. No, I'm just saying, I'm just kind of warm up here. There it is. Look at that. Good catch. By the way, uh, breaking news, they canceled the World Series this year. Not going to play it because the Braves are out. They just said, what's the point? You know, just cancel the whole thing. Just wanted you guys to know that. So our past matters to our present more than we realize. And for Saul, I believe God ordered his steps to go back into the territory of Benjamin and relive some things, look at some things again before he moved into his greater mission to take on leadership of the entire nation of Israel. That was his destiny, to become the king of Israel. And it was, I'm just telling you, it was not a coincidence that Saul had to go back to the place of his past, to the place where his family lived, and look at that stuff again before he could walk into his future. Let me ask you today, have you ever had something from your past pop up in your present suddenly? You know, it, it might be like something like a mannerism, you know, and you do it and you're like, oh my gosh, that's my mother. Or, oh wow, that's, that's, yeah, that's the face my dad makes when he's really ticked off. Look at that, you know. It could be something like that. It could be a saying, you know, that you heard your, your mom and dad say, maybe your grandparents, and all of a sudden it just comes out of your mouth. My, my, my grandma used to make up words. So she would just, when she'd get mad, she would, call, she would call me every single one of her grandchildren before she'd land on the one and it was like she'd go past it and have to come back, and she'd be so mad, and she would just start making up words. I honestly thought she was cussing me out, but that's not what she was doing. She just was looking for the right word. But, you know, th these things, they're like, man, where did that come from? You know, and it's like, well, that's what grandma used to do. That's what grandpa used to do. Your dad makes that same face. He, he waves the same way. You know what I'm saying? It's just like this. There's no, there's no wave there. He's just, just straight arms. How you doing? You know, something like that. You're like, man, that's... It's your past coming back into your present. I had a conversation with my dad just this past week, and I said, we were just talking about something. I said, you know, Dad, I feel like when I started out in ministry and early on, I felt like I was very people-oriented, you know? I'd kind of walk into the room and see people immediately and just, you know, want to connect and, hey, how you doing, you know, how you feeling? And I would remember, like, what people were dealing with and what they were going through, and I'd want to talk to them about it. And I feel like I've gotten more task-oriented as I've done this a little longer. And now I walk in, and I see, well, those chairs aren't straight. Like, who's responsible for this mess, you know? You guys don't even want to know what I think when I walk into my garage right now. <laughs> but I, I was just telling my dad, I feel like I'm getting more task-oriented as I'm getting older. And he goes, yep, that was me. He said, when I first started out, I was very people-oriented too. And now I'm so task-oriented. And he said, and it's bad. And he just said, I'm sorry. And I was like, well, that's not giving me any hope at all. That sounds like it's just going to go downhill from here. It's just going to get worse, you know. But it's, it's like it's, it's something in my past that's now showing up in my present. And I'm like, where is that coming from? But on a serious note, have you ever, have you ever seen where your past comes back up? And it's almost like you're, you're looking at yourself in the mirror, but you don't see yourself as you are now. Instead, like when you look at yourself, you see that 12-year-old who's still dealing with so much insecurity. 
and you're thinking, man, I thought I was over that. I thought I dealt with that. Or you see that kid that's still struggling with the lies of I'm not loved and I'm not wanted and I'm not good enough and I don't have what it takes. It's like you look at yourself in the mirror and you hear the words of that coach that benched you and told you you weren't good enough to play. You hear it all again in your heart. All of a sudden, it just shows up. See, your past can suddenly make a reappearance in your present. It can show up in the form of a habit that you just can't seem to break, and it just keeps coming back up. It might come up in the form of an attitude like anger, and when it comes, it comes out of nowhere, and it just takes over, and listen, something that's small because becomes something that's so big like that. Like you just, you just go there. You just get mad. You just get angry. Where did that come from? What is that? It could be emotions like worry and anxiety, things that you used to deal with and you thought you were over them, you thought you worked through them, but suddenly you just wake up one morning and you're feeling like an elephant sitting on your chest and you're like, where is that coming from? What is that? It could be fear, maybe irrational fear. And when it shows up, it's crippling and it makes you afraid. It makes you afraid to step out and put yourself out there. It makes you afraid to trust God with your future. It makes you afraid to be vulnerable and real with others. It just makes you afraid and you don't even know what you're afraid of. You just know you're scared to death right now. It just comes out of nowhere. Where did that come from? It's your past. Things that you thought you were over suddenly showing back up again in your present. Maybe you didn't deal with them like you thought you did. Maybe you pushed it to the side instead of taking it on, head on. Maybe you suppressed it instead of really, uh, really de- defeating it and dealing with it. And see, here's why all this matters, church. This is the third truth that I want to give you today. This is why it matters. What we won't deal with just keeps compounding in our lives. It doesn't just go away, y'all. It compounds in our life. It was true for Saul. If you read his story, you know that, yeah, he became the first king of Israel. Fantastic. You lived out your destiny, Saul. But when you read the story, you realize that his reign was not a good one at all. In fact, his life went off the rails so badly that God had to replace him. He had to remove him from the throne and instead put a guy named David in there because God said, I got I to have a king who is a man after my own heart, and that is not what Saul is. It didn't go well. And if you read his story, you see, man, he did a lot of messed up stuff. He had a lot of issues. And I believe that Saul's issues later in life were there because he refused to deal with them when he had a chance on his donkey mission. Before he came into the palace as king, he had the chance to face his past and finally deal with it, but he he chose not to. His pride would not allow him to deal with it. And church, listen to me. I absolutely believe this is true. I believe it's possible that the issues that we refuse to deal with from our past now have the ability to compound and affect our future later. They actually have the ability to show back up and sabotage the next season of our life as well. And if you won't deal with it in that season, they'll show up in the season after that too. And if you won't deal with them there, they'll show up again. Why? Because God is trying to smack you around with your past and cause you to live this condemned life? No, it's because God wants you healed. He wants you free. He wants you to deal with it. That's God's heart for us. What happens when you don't deal with it and it compounds into your future? What happens to that anger problem when you don't deal with it? What does it look like 10 years from now when it's compounded and only gotten worse? And you're just mad about everything and you don't even know why. You're just an angry person. What about that addiction? That you've just kind of allowed to hang around 
And every season in life, it's just kind of hanging around. You're not dealing with it. What does it look like later in life? What does it look like? How much worse does it get? Does it, does it end with you, you know, killing somebody on the road because you're driving drunk? Does it end with you moving on to really hard line drugs and you don't even know where you are most of the time and you're just, you're just, you're, you're just thrown away? You're living on the street because you won't deal with the thing that's been in your heart and been in your life for so long. What happens when it compounds and it just keeps getting worse? What about that problem with jealousy? That old familiar feeling comes back when you see something good happen for somebody else. Where did that come from? Where's that envy coming from? Why am I not happy for them? Why am I upset that their good things are happening for them? What is that? What happens if you don't deal with it now? You become an angry old man or an angry old woman sitting on your front porch telling the same stories about how you got passed over and somebody else got it and and you got dismissed while somebody else got promoted and you didn't get what everybody else got because you're just not special and and you just tell the same story over and over and over again. What about that problem with sin? Maybe something like gossip. Come on, listen. You know gossip destroys relationships, right? What happens when you don't deal with it now and it just compounds and gets worse and worse and then later on in life you realize that you have no real relationships because you have wounded every single person who tried to get close to you with the words of your mouth and you have proven over and over and over again that you are not trustworthy. What happens when we don't deal with it? It doesn't just go away. See, these things from our past God allows us to see them now, not so we'll feel condemned by them, but so that we will deal with them because what we refuse to deal with now doesn't just magically go away. It compounds over time. It gets stronger over time. And when it comes back in our future, it hurts us even worse. This takes courage, but I want you to hear me say it today. Don't be afraid to deal with your stuff. Hear me, church. Hear me. Don't be afraid to deal with your stuff. Deal with it. Recognize what keeps coming back from your past and it keeps showing up in your present. Deal with it so that your future can be so much better. You don't have to carry where you've been into where you're going. You can experience freedom, but you got to do the work and the work has got to be honest work. You got to get real. You got to get vulnerable. You got to take off your mask. You got to quit pretending you've got it all together. And you got to come to you got to come to God and say, "Lord, I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect. I've made big mistakes and I don't know how to move on until this stuff gets healed in my heart." Do the work. Don't be afraid. God will allow your donkey mission to take you back to the territory of your past. And you'll stay there for a while and you'll have an opportunity to deal with it. And then it'll take you in a circle. And he will bring you back to it again. Just go ahead and deal with it, church. Recognize it. Deal with it before you move into what's next. And this is how you deal with it right here. This is the good news of the message today. God doesn't expect you to deal with it on your own. And this is the fourth truth that I want to give you. God wants to heal those things in our past so that they don't hold us back in our future. That is such good news. Donkey missions are the perfect opportunity for us to deal with those lingering things from our past that have the potential to derail us in the future. Have you ever heard this expression, the best time to plant an oak tree was 20 years ago so that you have shade right now? Have you heard that? It's true. The second best time to plant an oak tree is right now so that 20 years from now, listen, the landscape of your life will look different. 
your future will look different than your past. It's right now. Some of us have stuff in our past, and the truth is we look back on our life, and, man, we don't want to look at it. It hurts because we feel guilt, we feel shame, we feel regret. And the truth is, if you were being honest today, you would say it's tormenting you. It's tormenting you. Listen, I believe one of the reasons that you're sitting in this room right now is because God does not want you to carry that stuff into your future. He wants to set you free today so that you can live free tomorrow. I love Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. The book of Galatians, it talks about freedom all the way through it. And this is what the Bible says in verse 1. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He sets us free today so that we can live free tomorrow. That's why he does it. You know the problem with that, uh, that junk drawer that you just ignore or that closet in your room, that room in your house that you just ignore and you keep saying, what's the point and I'm not going to deal with it today, is that you just keep adding more and more to it over time. And then pretty soon, you know, the drawer doesn't close anymore and you're just like slamming it and you're just mad and batteries are flying out, you know. <laughs> you just keep adding things to it. And the more you add to it, the harder it is to deal with. And what started as a little problem becomes a much bigger problem. And what started as a pretty insignificant detail in the story of your life has now come to define who you are. Because listen to me, it's not, a, it's not really that big of a deal if you've got a room or you've got a closet or you've got a garage that's full of stuff. But what happens when that room can't hold it anymore and you just keep adding more to it and it begins to overtake the entire house? That's what we call a hoarder. Has anybody ever seen that show? Don't watch it while you're eating. Just telling you. But see, now that has come to define who you are. It's not that you have a closet that's full of stuff anymore. It's that you've got a whole house and you can't even hardly walk through it anymore. That's what happens in the same way, we have all this stuff from our past and sin and just all, all this stuff that we've accumulated over time. And we just keep trying to shove it somewhere down in our hearts. Just suppress it. Just don't think about it. Just shove it down. Listen, your heart was not made to carry that kind of weight. And if we don't deal with it, all of that stuff will take over our entire heart. And what, watch what this does. What it does is it now does not have any room for you to receive what God wants to give you. Because all the stuff is in the way. You're, you're holding on to anger and unforgiveness from your past, and that's taking up room for the peace that God wants to give you and wants you to live with. You're choosing to, holding on, you're choosing to hold on to fear from your past, and that's taking up room for faith for your future. You're choosing to hold on to something like people-pleasing, and you've felt this your whole life. Like, I got to make somebody happy. I got to make my mama proud. I got I to make my dad say, out of boy. I got I to gotta please people. And what you're doing by holding on to that is you are leaving out room to live to please God, to live obedient to him, because you're trying to make everybody happy. You're just trying to appease everybody. You're holding on to guilt and shame, and it's taking up room for joy unspeakable that's full of glory. You're holding on to this. I've got to prove myself. I've, I've, I've got to show people that I'm worth it. And I've, got to, I've got to be validated. And you keep, you keep promoting yourself over and over and over again, and you're climbing that ladder, and you're just stepping all over everybody, trying to prove to somebody that you're worth it, and you're leaving out room for God's validation and God's affirmation and God's love in your life. Listen to me. You've already got everything that you're working for in relationship with Jesus. You don't have to reach for it one more day of your life, but you filled your life up with so much of, I have got to prove something to somebody that there's no room for God to do anything else in there. 
It's, it's that secret sin, and you've decided, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to pursue healing for it. It's there, and it doesn't go away. And what it does is it just keeps God's purity and his love out of your heart. The stuff we don't deal with, it doesn't just magically disappear. God wants to heal us of our past. Why? So that we can live the life he's dreamed for us. So that we can be the people he's called us to be. I'm going to go through these really quick. I'm just going to give you three action steps really fast. Here's the first one. What do you do when you know you've got stuff that you need to deal with? Number one, you need to take notice when your past reappears. You need to start to take notice when your past reappears. When that old familiar feeling comes back up, don't just blow past it and say, that's an insignificant detail of my life. No, it's not. There's a reason it keeps coming up. What's it attached to? What's the pain back there that you haven't been healed from yet? What's the, what's, the, what's the triggers that keep it coming back up in your mind? Why does it keep coming back up? You, begin, you need to begin to take notice when your past makes a reappearance. And here's the cool thing that God has given us. The Bible says that when we come into relationship with him through Jesus Christ, that he gives us the Holy Spirit. You guys, this, this is so cool. The Holy Spirit, the Bible calls him our helper. Okay, and he helps us in so many ways, but one of the things he does to help us is he takes those things from our past and he puts a light on it and he helps us to see it in a different way. He helps us to see it beyond this is just something that happened to me and I'm trying to cope and deal with it. No, no, he has us look back at it and then he sees it through a redemptive view, a redemptive lens. What is God doing with this in my life now? That's what the Holy Spirit does. I love Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. In other words, quit living like everybody else around you, but be transformed, watch this, by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That renewal of your mind that the Bible is talking about, part of that is looking at things that have happened in your past and looking at them in a different way. It's kind of reimagining why that happened the way that it did and what I need to do with that. It's, it's looking at it again. And what happens when we do that? The second part of the verse tells us. It says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. God's will is speaking to your future. Reimagine, rethink, re, re-engage with what's happened in your past. And what does that do? It helps you to see God's will for your life, for your future, crystal clear. But you don't see it when you're stuck in that stuff that you've been dealing with. And and the Bible is very clear on the language. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know who the agent of transformation is in your life? It's the Holy Spirit. You don't transform your own mind. The Holy Spirit does that. That's why you got to have him. So you invite him in. When your past shows up, it makes a reappearance. In that moment, stop. Slow down. Don't just run past it. And say, Holy Spirit, why is this familiar feeling showing back up in my mind? Why is this familiar hurt coming back up? Bring it to him, and he will start to speak some truth to you, and he'll start to reveal God's heart for you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. What else do we need to do if we're struggling with our past? Here's number two. Get some help with it. Get some help with it. The older I get, the more I realize that I cannot do things on my own the way that I used to. I can't move that heavy box. I can't do that that big job without help. I apparently need help getting on and off a ladder. It's true. I need help to do that heavy lifting and and stuff like that. Otherwise, my body is going to pay the price for it, especially my back. And listen, with things like what we're talking about today, getting free and getting healed from our past, that's heavy lifting that you should not try to do alone. And here's the thing. God has not asked you to do it alone. 
God hasn't asked you to deal with it by yourself. That's why he places you in the family of God. We are called to help one another. And some of you, listen, some of you, you need to make yourself available to receive help from others. Galatians 6 and 2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. And I really felt led to say this. I think some of us, we, we, we need help, and we know we do, but we're kind of just standing back, and we're, and we're just saying, you know, I don't understand why somebody won't help me. I don't understand why nobody cares and, and nobody's coming to help me. And what I feel like the Lord is saying to somebody today is you need to make yourself available to receive help from somebody else. You need to ask for it. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. That's what the body of Christ is for. We've got several things that we do here. Things like life groups are designed to help you carry burdens. We're in the middle of a semester right now, but it's not too late to join in. If you're not in a group, join. We've got groups that meet on Tuesday night and Thursday nights. They're amazing. Join a life group. Start doing life with other people. Find somebody to help you carry that load in prayer and care. We're in the middle of a semester right now on what we call freedom. And it's not really something you want to jump into the middle of necessarily, but we're going to offer freedom again. And listen, freedom is all about you getting healed and free from your past. That's what it's about. We're going to offer it again. Some of you, you need to go through freedom when it comes back up. Some of you, listen, you need to sit down with a Christian counselor. I am so sick of this stigma about counseling. And people act like, well, you can't go see a counselor. People will blah, 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 blah. You need to get over all that. Like Christian counselors are anointed by God to help you work through your stuff. The Holy Spirit uses them. It's awesome. Some of you need to get over that, and you need to sit down with a counselor. Some of you, you need to talk to a friend. You need to get accountable to somebody. Just pick up the phone and call somebody that you trust. Listen, if you're the only one who knows what's going on, it's going to be really hard for you to overcome it. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12 says, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And some of you, this is the action step that you need to take this week. You need to move to get some help. You need to sit down with a counselor. You need to call a friend. You need to share something with your group. You need to tell somebody about that thing in your past that keeps coming up so that it doesn't continue to sabotage your future. I want the band to come up and begin playing softly. Here's the third thing we need to do. What do we need to do? Here's the third one. We need to get rid of it. We need to get rid of it once and for all. When, when you recognize that something is hanging around from your past that doesn't need to be in your present, then you need to make the decision and make the, ter- the determination to get rid of it. You need to eliminate the clutter. You need to get it out of your life. When we finally do go to work in our garage and we get all that cleaned up, I feel like I'm going to need to give like an update. I need to like make myself accountable on the, you know, the, maybe just give me a few weeks, you know, third week of January, I'll show you another picture and it'll be beautiful. I know that when we go through our garage, we're going to have this conversation and we do every time. Like, do you want to keep this? And I'm the guy that's like, yes, of course I want to keep my trombone. Who doesn't need a trombone? Right? Yes. Why not? You know, Carmen's like, why do you have this? Like, when do you play a trombone? You know, and I'm like, I play it every other day. (laughs) We're going to have that discussion. But listen, if there's something in your past that's in your present and doesn't need to be there, if it's not adding value to your life, it's just creating clutter, get rid of it. Get it out of your heart. Get it out of your soul. If it's not serving a purpose in your present, cut it out and get it out of your life. Now check this out. This is what I love about Jesus. This whole getting rid of it thing, when you're talking about past and emotions and 
hurts and pain. That's a lot easier said than done. This is what I love about it. Jesus, this is where he comes in. And this work of getting rid of it, listen, Jesus has already done the work so that you can get rid of it. That's what the cross was all about. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He does the work for us. The Bible says that on the cross, that's where he took on our sin and shame. You understand that he was perfect. He, he had committed no sin. But he took on our sin and shame. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And choosing to get rid of it is literally choosing to let the blood of Jesus do a work in your heart. That's what it is. It's just saying, yes, God, I know I need your help with this. Come on, you can make that decision today. Don't keep returning on your donkey mission to the same place, the same territory of Benjamin. Don't let it affect your future any longer. Make a decision today to let the sun set you free. You know, the Bible says whom the sun sets free is free indeed. That's true for you. Our donkey missions, they're always pointing us to the greater mission, but we gotta see it for what it is. Saul had to go through Benjamin to get to the place of his destiny, and so do we. I want you to stand with me all across the room. Stand with me and just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want us right now just to make some room for the Holy Spirit to come and move. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come, Lord? Would you come and fill this place? Fill every heart right now, Holy Spirit. So much love. So much peace. Such grace. Do you feel his presence? He's here. He's moving right now. Come, Holy Spirit, move. Have your way. Come on, just open up your heart to him right now. He's here. He wants to do a work in you. He doesn't want you to leave here the same way you came in, and you don't have to. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Have your way. Have your way in me. Come on, just begin to say that prayer. Have your way in me. I know this message was heavy. I know that it probably wasn't for everybody, but I know it was for a lot of us. And there's things that we've been carrying. There's weight that we've been living our lives with. And God just wants to lift that off of you today. He's saying, nobody asked you to carry that. Your past is your past for a reason. You can leave it there. You don't have to keep carrying it. You can give it to Jesus today, but that's how you get rid of it. You, you can't move past your past without Jesus. That's, what, that's why he went to the cross, and that's what he wants to do today. He wants to take that weight, that guilt, that shame, that fear, that sin off of you today. Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way. Move, God. Move, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Right now, I believe for some of you, there's some things that are just starting to come up right now. And you're, you're seeing some things from your past. It's making a reappearance right now in this present moment. Don't just ignore that. Don't dismiss that. The Holy Spirit is showing you the places that he wants to heal. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Somebody, you went through a relationship and it was so wounding. It was so hurtful. And you've been living with a broken heart for a long time, and God is illuminating that thing right now. He's saying, I want to heal you. I want to restore you. Just let him do it. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we come out of agreement with the lies that we believed around that hurt. That's a lie that we caused it. Yes, 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 right there. Come on, somebody received that. You believe that lie. That hurt happened to me because I did it. I caused it. They treated me that way because I deserve to be treated that way. That is a lie from the enemy. I cast it down now in the name of Jesus. Be healed. Be set free today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I see in my mind right now, it's like a little boy, and he's got like a baseball cap over his face, and he's hiding, and he's got tears coming down. He's sitting in a corner, and there's just adults just ignoring him. And he's just crying out to be loved and be accepted and be seen. And if that's you today, if that's just a description of what your childhood was, be healed now in Jesus' name. Be free. Be free. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, do your work, God. That's what I want us to do today. I'm not trying to prolong anything. I just feel God moving and working in this place. The band's going to lead us in this song. And as they do, if you're here today and, and you just say, you know what, this is heavy lifting, and I, I don't even really know how to deal with this stuff from my past, but I, I, I do want to be free. If that's you today, if you just say, you know what, Pastor, I just need some help with this. I just want to invite you to come down and just stand somewhere in this altar area, and I just want to pray with you today. I'm not going to make it weird. I'm not going to point you out or anything like that. We're just going to agree together in prayer. And I believe God is going to do a work in your heart today. Come on, as the band leads us, if that's you, if you just need some prayer, you just need some help with this, the Holy Spirit is here right now. He wants to minister to you. Come on, sing it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Do your work, Jesus.